together. And Lord, I pray that you uh, give me the words to say, Father, as we go through these 14 verses in Hosea chapter number 8. Lord, I pray that you just uh, give me the words to say and uh, help us as we look at this passage tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Hosea chapter number 8. And if you've been going with us as we've been traveling through this book, we've gone uh, pretty deep into just the prophecy and the preaching and the, the ministry of Hosea. If you remember, we started off just learning about Hosea and his family. And now we've been going through chapter after chapter of Hosea preaching to the people, literally just preaching what God wants them to say. And he begins this chapter here by kind of talking about that. If you look at verse number 1, he says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. Do you see that? He says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. Now immediately when I read that verse, it makes me think of a verse in Isaiah, which I'd like you to look at. Isaiah 58 is a verse we've looked at before, oftentimes, but it's always good to look at it again. Isaiah 58, if you go towards the left in your uh, Old Testament there, you'll... Uh, get to the book of Isaiah, and I'd like you to look at Isaiah chapter number 58, and look at verse number 1, Isaiah 58 and verse number 1. Here you have, you find that God teaches these uh, prophets how to preach, or how He wants them to preach often, and here you find God instructing Isaiah in regards to how He ought to preach, and if you remember, Isaiah and Hosea were contemporaries. What that means is that they lived at the same time, in fact their ministries were at the same time. And Isaiah 58, verse number 1, the Bible says, Cry aloud. Now the word cry in the King James Bible does not mean what you and I think cry today like, like a child who's crying. When, 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 we, when the Bible talks about somebody uh, and they're crying and our sense of crying where there are tears coming out, the, the Bible word for that is weeping. That's the, the, the word that's used in the King James Bible. The word cry in the Bible means to shout. So when you see that word cry there, it doesn't mean like, oh, cry like a baby. It's talking about shouting. And the Bible says, cry aloud. The word aloud there means out loud or, or very loud. It says, shout out loud. Those are what he says. Spare not. The word spare not means means don't, you know, don't worry about anybody. Don't, don't, don't leave anything out. You know, in, in the in the New Testament it says, be instant in season, out of season. He says, cry aloud, spare not. Look what he says. Lift up thy voice like a what's that next word? You see that? Like a trumpet. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. Now I want you to understand this and keep your finger there on Isaiah 58 because we're going to come right back to it. But I want you to go back to Hosea chapter number 8. God says to Hosea, set the trumpet to thy mouth. Now you got to understand this. Now I'm sure many, all of you have, have heard of trumpet before. But if we were to bring a trumpet in here and have the trumpet play while, you know, we're doing congregational. Let's say one day we had an orchestra. And, and praise God, maybe one day we will have an orchestra. Wouldn't that be great? If our church had a, a full orchestra, that, I would love that. You know, to have a violin and a, and, and, and a trumpet and, I don't know what else, a clarinet. You know, I don't know. I don't know what goes over I don't know what goes in an orchestra. I just want one. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, maybe an organ or something. Okay. But if we had a whole orchestra set up in here, we had one clarinet, one violin, one piano, 
and one trumpet, and they were all playing, you know that the trumpet would just completely overpower all the other instruments? Because it's a very loud instrument. In fact, oftentimes when you have a trumpet, like if we had a trumpet playing in here, you'd probably have to put like, I don't remember what they're called, but they have these special things you put inside of them that just kind of makes it, uh, it muffles it, so it's not as loud. Because a trumpet is a very loud instrument. And oftentimes it was used during times of war when the enemy was coming in order to wake people up, in order to arouse people, in order to, to startle people. They would play this trumpet, you know, and they would, and it was loud, you know, and it would startle people. And God said that the preaching of His Word, and He told uh, Hosea here, He says, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He says, I want you to startle these people. I want you to shake these people. I want you to, to wake these people up. Now you say, well, why does he do that? Look at verse 1. Set the trumpet to, the, to thy mouth. Why? He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord. He says, you need to set the trumpet to your mouth because someone's coming as an eagle to the house of the Lord. Now, keep your finger in Hosea. All right? I, I know you've got to keep your place in, in Isaiah 58 also because we're coming back to it. But go to Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Towards the beginning of your New Testament there, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you've got the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. And look at verse number 49. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 49. Now, remember, Hosea chapter 8 verse 1 says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord. Deuteronomy 28 and verse number 49, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 49, the Bible says, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the ends of the earth. Look what it says. As swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. He says, I'm going to bring, and by the way, Deuteronomy 28 is a chapter where God's going through all those blessings. Remember, we, we talked about it when we were preaching through the book of Joshua. Remember where they had those two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and one represented God's blessing, one represented God's curse. He says, if you do what I tell you, you can live on the mountain of blessing. If you don't obey me, you'll live on the mountain of curse. And he went through and explained what that was. He said, he said you know, you're going to be in debt. He said, you're going to be the tail and not the head. He said, you're going to be this. You're going to be that. But if you're blessed, you'll be the head. And, and, and they'll be the tail. You'll lend to other nations. So he gives them all those blessings. And here, part of that curse in Deuteronomy 28, he says, The Lord shall bring, look verse 49 again, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flight. Alright? So when the eagle's coming in, that's a picture of the enemy coming in. As swift as the eagle flieth. A nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, verse 50, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor show favor to the young. Go back to Hosea. Here's what you got to understand. God tells Hosea, He says, set the trumpet to thy mouth. Why? He says, because there is imminent danger. Because there is an enemy coming. Because there is, there, there is a judgment coming. And God is trying to explain to us that the preaching of God's word, word ought to be not only loud, it ought to be shocking, it ought to be startling. The purpose is to alarm you, to wake you up. Now, if you, you know, if you haven't had the privilege, like I have, of growing up in an independent fundamental Baptist church my entire life, and you've spent time in some of these, and by the way, even independent fundamental Baptist churches need a little waking up. 
But you look at the average preaching done among, you know, by the preachers of America today, and I'll tell you, it may be eloquent, it may be soothing, it may be encouraging, but it is nothing, you, you could not use this word, uh, alarming, to describe it. Go to church, the average church on a Sunday morning, you're going to get a 20, 25, maybe 30 minute, if the pastor really gets excited, sermonette. And it's not alarming, it's not pointing out your sin, it's not telling you that judgment's coming, but God tells Hosea, He says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord. He says, you got to wake people up, because judgment is coming. Now you say, well, why is judgment coming? Look at verse 1. Are you there, Hosea? Chapter uh, 8, verse 1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because... You see that word? Why is he coming? Why is the enemy coming? Why is the judgment coming? Why are these bad things coming? Because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. You see that? I want you to make note of these words. Transgressed my covenant and trespassed my law. Now go to 1 John chapter number 3. Real quickly, 1 John. Keep your finger on Isaiah 58. We're going to go back to it. 1 John chapter number 3. Towards the end of your New Testament... 1 John, chapter number 3, and look at verse number 4. 1 John, chapter number 3, and verse number 4. I want you to see this, and I want to teach you a couple of things about the King James Bible. The, the Bible is its own dictionary. If you ever think, well, I wonder what this word means. Just look that word up every time it appears in the Bible. Just read it every, t- every verse. Read the context of every verse every time it comes up in the Bible. And God will often describe or define the word for you. So in 1 John chapter number 3, if you look at verse number 4, the Bible says this. And every man, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Uh, Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. Make note of those words. Transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. Do you see that? So according to the Bible, what is the definition of sin? The transgression of the law. I know we like to come up with all sorts of cute little things. Well, sin is this and sin is that. But according to the Bible, sin is a transgression of the law. Go back to Hosea. So when, the, when we transgress, the word transgress, if you look there at, at Hosea chapter 1 verse 8, you see how God uses the word transgress and trespass? They mean the same thing. Oftentimes, God will use two different words uh, close together to explain to us, you know, the... Make the point that you know it's the same thing there. And the word transgress or trespass means to go beyond something. It's like you see those signs, you know, we're out soul winning and it says no trespassing. What it means is if you go past that, you just trespass upon that property. Well, God gives us these laws, and if you go past that boundary, then you have now sinned because sin is the transgression of the law. So if you look at verse 1 again, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He said, I want you to startle these people. He said, I want you to be loud. He said, I want you to to wake them up. He said, I want you to alarm them. Why? Because the enemy is coming. Because he is coming as an eagle against the house of the Lord. Why is he coming? Because they have transgressed my covenant and uh, trespassed against my law. He says, because of sin. Now compare that to Isaiah 58. Look at verse 1. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. 
Why? What is the purpose of lifting up your voice like a trumpet? What is the purpose of crying aloud? What is the purpose of sparing not? Is it just to get excited? You can go to a lot of Pentecostal churches where the where guys are going to get up and scream and holler and, and do a whole lot of excitement. But you know what's missing? The verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up their voice like a trumpet. What's the purpose? And show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. See, the purpose... See, you know, every time I come back to church, I'm just talking about preaching. One of the primary reasons of, uh, of, of preaching is to show you, or explain to you, or alarm you, or point out to you sin in your life. You say, I come to church and they always, always feel like they're showing me something that I'm doing wrong. Hey, if you're coming to church and you're always learning that you're doing something wrong, guess what? You're probably in a pretty good church. Because the purpose of the church is to gather together. Why? So that we can set up our voices. So we can cry aloud. So we can spare not. So we can show you the Bible. You say, well, how do you teach someone that they're in sin? You teach them the law. You teach them the Bible. So they realize when they transgress that law, they just sin. God tells Isaiah, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Verse 2. And by the way, you ought, to, you ought to just consider that. You know, and I understand that there are times to teach and we get that. But these pastors that, you know, you, you could not describe their preaching as alarming, as loud. Oh, he never, never. Our pastor, he's more calm. He never raises his voice. There's something wrong with that pastor. Right. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not preaching. Good. Verse 2. Israel shall cry unto me. I want you to teach, teach you something else about the King James Bible. You may notice in the Bible, as you read through your King James, that there are no uh, quotation marks. In the Bible, you don't find quotation marks, but you do find a lot of people speaking. In the days that our Bibles were translated, the quotation marks were not in existence, or, or maybe they were not in use so what they did was, they would capitalize the beginning of a quote. That's the only way you're able to tell that you're reading a quote. So if you look at verse 2 here, it says, Israel shall cry unto me, comma, do you see that? And then you've got a quote of what they're crying. Now notice what they said. Israel shall cry unto me, quote, my God, we know thee. Now you got to understand this, okay? Verse 2 is in context with verse 1. I know that's real deep theological teaching there. He said, set your trumpet to thy mouth. He said, the enemy's coming as an eagle against the house of the Lord. He says, they're coming because of your transgression and your trespasses. Now, when they're in the judgment, God says that Israel shall cry unto me. God says, when you're in the judgment... Here's what you're going to say to me. Notice what he says. What they said. They said, My God, we know thee. So in the midst of judgment, they're crying out to God. My God, we know thee. And that should remind you of another verse. Go to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. And look at verse number 22. Matthew chapter number 7. And verse number 22. Remember we're talking about the judgment. And what people are going to be saying to God at the judgment. And notice what 
Matthew 7.22 says, Many will say to me in that day, what day is that? The day of judgment. God says, this is, Jesus Christ said, this is what people are going to say to me at judgment day. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful, here's the problem, works? That's what they're trusting in their works. Verse 23. Then will I profess. Now in verse 22 they're saying, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in thy name. And we cast out devils in thy name. And by the way, people can cast out devils and not be saved. Isn't that interesting? He says, they cast out devils in my name. They said, we, we did many wonderful works in your name. They said, here's what they're saying. They're saying, God, we know you. That's what they're saying. Knows what God says, verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, the problem is not, do you know God? The problem is, does God know you? You say, ah, I think that's semantics. Go to Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians. First and second Corinthians, and you got the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 9. Galatians chapter number 4 in verse 9. Galatians chapter 4 in verse 9. The Bible says, Galatians 4 9, the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says, But God, after the after that ye have known God. Now I want you to notice this, okay? Please, please listen to me very carefully. There are no mistakes in the King James Bible. But God, I think, to make an emphasis allows Paul to say this and then and then Paul corrects himself. He says, you know, I, it'd be better put this way, Louis verse 9. He says, but now, after that ye have known God, or rather, he says, let, let me correct what I just said. Let me give you a, 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 a more accurate statement. Now, please understand what I'm saying. There's no, there's no uh, mistake in the King James Bible. It says exactly what God meant for it to say. But I think God does that to emphasize to us what Paul's about to say. He says, but now, after that ye have known God, or, or, or rather, are, notice what he says, known of God. You see that? Because he says, it doesn't matter if you know God. He says, what matters is, are you known of God? How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, where unto ye desire again to be in bondage? So you got to understand this. And it's hard to really get people to comprehend this sometimes. Go back to Hosea. If you haven't gone out soul winning... One of the first steps, if you've never gone off soul winning, let me, let me give you, I'm going to help you out a little bit, push, push you, uh, give you some advantage. Whenever you take someone soul winning for the first time, sometimes it takes a little while, but I believe one of the first steps to really becoming a soul winner, as you're out there knocking on doors, talking to people, conversating with people, listening to people, I think one of the first steps of growth for a soul winner, and it's, it's always interesting to me when it, when it clicks in their mind, and they begin to communicate it, I think it's like, man, we're on the right track. You say, what's that first step? The first step is when they realize, wow, most of these people who call themselves Christians aren't actually saved. It's a very interesting thing. Because I think most Christians that have never gone soul winning just think, well, yeah, you know, I mean, there's that other religion, and they're not quite like us, but here, I'm sure they're saved. I mean, I'm sure most Lutherans are saved. I'm sure most Pentecostals are saved. 
I'm sure most people that go to that community church down the street, I'm sure they're saved. But then when you get out and you're talking to them, and you start realizing, wow, they're not saved. Because you got to understand this. Knowing God is not the issue. Does God know you? Because look, the Bible says many, many will say in that day, many will stand at the great white throne judgment. Many will stand before God when God is getting ready to cast them into hell. And they'll say, God, I went to church. God, I, I did this. I taught Sunday school. I, I went here. I was in the restaurant. I did this and I did that. I cast out devils. And in thy name did many wonderful works. And God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's the truth. Many people, look at verse 2. In that day, Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we knew thee. But you know what God's going to say? No, you didn't. You didn't know me. You thought you knew me. You got a fake picture of what you thought was me. You created a God in your own mind and called it God of the Bible, but it wasn't the God of the Bible. It wasn't even the Bible. For most churches. Look at verse 3. Israel have cast off. You know what the word cast off means? It means you threw it away. You threw it off of you. It's like you took, you took a piece of clothing and you just threw it off of you. He said, Israel have cast off that, the, uh, the thing that is good. And because he did that, the enemy shall pursue him. Judgment. You say, well, how, how did we cast you off, God? Now, God is dealing with Israel, but I think there are a lot of applications for us today as New Testament believers. Look at verse 4. He says, here's how you cast me off. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. God said, the first way that I want to explain to you that you didn't know me. Because if you would have known me, you would not have voted for someone who's for abortions. He said, if you would have known me, you wouldn't have picked the kings that you picked. You wouldn't have picked the princes that you picked. You wouldn't have picked the political leadership that you had. He said, if you would have known me, he said, you set up kings, but not by me. He said, you made princes, but I knew it not. He said, if you would have known me, you would have known what the Bible said. I'm amazed, you know, supposedly Christians, supposedly people that love God and love the Bible. I've had people leave our church that came here Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night pretty consistently. And they loved God, they were saved, they were this, they were that. And they left because, I can't believe Pastor Jimenez said something anti-Barack Obama. The first black president. The first half-black president. I'd like to remind you. Let me tell you something, Barack Obama is a devil. Barack Obama is not a good person. Barack Obama thinks it is okay to kill children in the womb. Barack Obama thinks it is okay for sodomites to uh, be married and blesses that. You think, and the Republicans are devils too. It's the same thing. You know, I, I, I guess second time is fundamental. Well, we got to take a stand against Obama, so we got to go uh, vote for Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, who's had a company that assisted in abortions. Well, no, but he was anti-abortion. Yeah, he's just making money off of it. Yeah, that's good. Right. What I'm trying to say to you is that if we got back to real Christianity, we'd realize that the, you know, you, you ought not be supporting these political... Because here's what you understand. The leadership... You know what leadership is? It's influence. 
Who do you allow to influence you? God says, if you would have known me, you would not have chosen the kings that you did. You would not have chosen the princes that you did. And you know what God says to you and I? If you would have known me, you would not allow the people that you allow to influence you to influence you. You wouldn't spend so much time in front of the television allowing some newscaster or some sports broadcaster or some actor or some whatever to influence you more than the Word of God. Verse 5. Well, the last part of verse 4, he says, Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Verse 6, For from Israel was it also. The workmen made it. Therefore, it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. So he said, he said you don't know me. Because, I, he said, you don't want, I'm going to explain to you how I know you don't know me. Because of the leadership you've chosen. He said, do you want me to explain to you how I know you don't know me? Because of the idolatry that you've involved yourself in? You know, we got to understand this, and you know, from time to time I guess we need to do this, but go, go to Exodus real quickly, Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. The Bible says that we ought not be involved in idolatry. Exodus chapter number 20, you find that famous passage there of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter number 20, and... You find that the Ten Commandments there, look at verse 3, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other God before me, that's the first commandment. I want you to look at number 2, number, verse 4, the second commandment. He says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any. You see the word any there? That means none. Any graven or engraved image. But it's not just an engraved image. He says, or any likeness. Do you see what the word likeness there? The word likeness means it looks like something. He says the likeness of anything. You see that? So should we have anything that looks like anything? <laughs> no. Should we have any graven image? No. Now notice, just to make sure that God, God says, I want to make sure you understand this. He said, I don't want you to have the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. He said, I don't want you to have any of it. That's why you come to Brady Baptist Church. You don't see a crucifix with Jesus on it. You don't see statues. Why? Because that's idolatry. You don't see anything. You don't even see crosses. You don't see anything. You know, because in Christians today, they're like, well, we don't believe in idolatry. But they want to put their little dove on the back of their car. Well, I'm pretty sure a dove is something. Would a dove, would a, would a, would a bird fall under the category of anything that is in heaven above? Well, I'm not going to put the dove, I'm just going to put the, the, the fish, you know, because I, I like to listen to Sacramento's Christian station, the fish. <laughs> you know. Does that uh, fall under anything that is in the water under the earth? Well, I, I'm just going to make a picture of Jesus. Uh, pretty sure Jesus walked on this earth. Does that fall under the, the, that is in the earth beneath? And by the way, you don't know what Jesus looked like? I don't know what Jesus looked like? Leonardo da Vinci did not know what Jesus looked like? we got to understand that idolatry is a sin that God hates. You say, well, how do I know if it's idolatry? Look, go back to Hosea chapter 8, look at verse 6. Here's a good rule of thumb. How, how do I know if it's idolatry? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6. 
For from Israel was it also. The workman made it, therefore it is not God. If someone made it, it's not of God. <laughs> so how do I know if that's adultery? Did someone make it? Yeah, well I bought it from this. Well then it's not of God. <laughs> that's a good, good rule of thumb. I like that. Therefore it is not God. But you know, it goes deeper than that. Because the Bible talks about having idols in your heart. And we, you can say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to take a stand again. Every time I go to that Chinese restaurant, I'm going to kick that Buddha. Because I am anti idolatry <laughs> you, go, you go ahead and do that and see how that works. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't eat there, you know what I mean? <laughs> you might be worried about what comes in your meal. But you know what? We make idols of things that are not tangible. So, uh, you know, I'm never going to have that fish and I'm not going to have that, but we make our jobs and we make our money and we make our families and we make the television and we make all sorts of things, idols in our heart. God says, I, I can't stand that. He says, you want to know how I know you don't know me? Because the idols you have. Verse 7. For they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. It's very interesting a verse there. Go back to Galatians. We were in Galatians earlier. I should have told you to keep your finger there, but I forgot. Galatians chapter number 6. We're going to have to hurry this thing up. So we're out of time. Galatians chapter number 6. And look at verse number 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Now keep your finger on Hosea because we're going to go back and forth. I want you to see this, okay? Hosea chapter 8 verse 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. There's a principle in the Bible called you reap what you sow. And the picture there is of someone planting something. You sow something into the ground. You plant seed into the ground. And then you will reap what grows from what you grew. Okay? And let me just say this. The Bible calls it, uh, you know, sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. But you know, Satan in the world always takes the ideas of God and just makes it something different. Now people say to me, oh, someone said to me recently, karma is going to come back and get that person. That's myself. You mean sowing what you reap? That's what the Bible says. And you know, the world just said, you know, it's going to come back to you. No, it's called reaping what you sow. Go, are you there in Galatians chapter 6? Look at verse number 7. Now there's a lot of verses that, that talk about this, but I want you to see it in Galatians 6, 7. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. No, you can't mock at God. You can't laugh at God. You can't pull one over God. You may think that you're pulling one over God, but he says, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He says, you will reap what you sow. Now that ought to scare us in the sense that we can't mock at God. We cannot pull one over God. Don't deceive yourself. You will eventually reap what you sow. That's a very negative, scary thought. And Hosea brings it up in that negative connotation. But you ought to also remember, there's a positive connotation there. Hey, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Say, well, I'm getting ripped off at work. And I'm getting ripped off with this deal. And I'm getting ripped off with these people. And these people are treating me bad at me. Hey, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatsoever you sow, you will reap that. And look at the context. Verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit uh, reap life everlasting. Verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing. 
Why? For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He says, don't be weary while doing. Hey, don't get tired of be doing right. Don't, don't get tired of, uh, be, uh, of just having the right attitude and doing the right thing. Don't, don't get tired of it because you will reap what you sow. He said, don't be weary and we'll do it. Go back to Hosea. Look at verse number 7. For they have sown the wind. Now I want you to notice this. You sow the wind. you got to understand this. You always reap what you sow. But you also always reap a lot more than you sow. You take one seed, you know, and plant it into the ground, and a plant comes out of that, and that plant's going to produce a lot more seeds than that one seed. And God puts it this way in verse 7. He says, For they have sown the wind, but notice, they shall reap the whirlwind. God says, you got to tell these people, He says, you, you're messing with something you think you can control. You're me- you know, the wind comes around, and may- maybe you realize you can't control the wind, but you think, well, I can handle this. It's not that big of a deal. I'll go ahead and play with this. I, I can deal with this. And God says, you can go ahead and sow the wind, but you better realize, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He says, you sow the wind, but you're going to end up reaping the whirlwind, something you cannot control. Something that's out of control. He says, they have no stock, the bud shall yield no meal. If ye be, uh, uh, so it be yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Look at verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. He said, you're going to be consumed. You're going to be sinking. You're going to be drowning in this whirlwind because you thought you could play with the wind, but you'll reap the whirlwind. Got to be careful. Verse 9. For they have gone up, Assyria, a wild ass alone, by himself. I have, I have more I can say, but we need to just... I want to get to uh, one last thing and we'll be done. Ephraim hath hired lovers, yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him, uh, unto him to sin. I want you to understand this, okay? Altars were a religious thing. Altars were part of their religion. And these people did not know God, yet they had many altars to sin. I think verse 12 is a very powerful verse. He says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as strange things. He says, I have written to him the great things of my law. He said, I gave you, he's talking to Israel here, he said, I gave you my law, the word of God. Now keep your finger on there, just real quickly, go to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Remember when we were studying through the book of Romans? We had that big going back and forth about the Jews and the, and the, the, the Gentiles and the differences there. And God kept telling us that He accounts them all under sin, for there is none that doeth good, no, not one. But in, in Romans 3.1, Paul asks the question, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? He says, well, okay, so we're all under sin. No one's better than the other. God is no respecter of persons. Then is there any advantage of being a Jew? Now the interesting thing, he says, What advantage is there then, or hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? That's the question. Verse 2, the answer. He says, much every way. He says there's a big advantage in being a Jew. You say, what is it? 
chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now the oracles of God there are a reference to the word of God. He says the advantage, go back to Hosea, the advantage that you had, is that uh, the Jews had, is that God gave them the Bible. No other people heard God speak at Mount Sinai like the Jews heard God speak. No other people had a, had, had a prophet like Moses come down with, with, with the Ten Commandments and, and, and Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy. God gave them the Word. But notice God's issue, verse 12. He says, I've written to him the great things of my law. But, notice how they acted. They were counted as a strange thing. That word strange means something that doesn't belong to you. Like us, uh, you know, the work of Proverbs talks about a strange woman in, in adultery. Because it's a woman that does not belong to you. And God says, I gave you my word. He says, I gave you my Bible. I gave you the oracles of God. But you counted my word as a strange thing. He said, you acted like it wasn't given to you. You acted like it didn't belong to you. You acted like it wasn't for you. And you know, that ought to preach to us tonight. Because the children of Israel had Abraham and Moses and David... And they were physically given the Word of God. But you know what? you got to understand something. There has never been a people on the face of this earth that has had the Word of God like you and I have it today. Those people, they, you say, well, they had Moses, but they, they didn't have the whole canon of Scripture like you and I have. They didn't have Genesis to Revelation. They didn't have the wisdom of God just a bit. They didn't have it in a book form. They didn't have it the, the way we study the Bible today. It is a privilege for us to study the scripture where we can go back and forth and bless God. We ought to keep doing that and we ought to take advantage of that. Where we can go from verse to verse or chapter to chapter and we can go, go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and, and cover those things. But they didn't have, oftentimes they had one book. The Bible talks about that we have been given things that the angels, they wish they could look upon these things that we had today. And yet you and I act like it's a strange thing. That doesn't belong to me. How much time have we spent in the Bible this week? How much time have we spent in the Bible this week compared to the time you spent on Facebook? And I ought to put it in perspective. How much time did we spend on the Word of God this week compared to the amount of time that we spent in front of the hell of it? How much time did we spend on the Word of God this week compared to the, to the other thing, you know, to, to just physically eating? How much time have you spent this week physically eating uh, versus spiritually eating? I'm not trying to upset you. I'm not trying to, to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to tell you. You have been given the wonderful privilege of giving the Word of God. Don't treat it like it doesn't belong to you. God gave it to you for a reason. Don't treat it like a strange thing. Don't be like, well, you know, it's just, I don't really understand it. Get in it. Read it. Understand it. Learn it. Study it. Memorize it. God said, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Notice he says... They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it. He says, you know my problem with these people is they're very religious, but they don't know me. They're very religious, but they don't know my word. Look at the last part of verse 13. But the Lord accepted them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They, they shall return to Egypt. Verse 14. I know I said I was almost done. I, I am almost done. I just want to show you one couple things out of this verse. Verse 14. For Israel 
had forgotten his maker. Now that word maker there, he's referring to the fact that he is the creator. He made them. I want you to notice something. He says, for Israel hath forgotten his maker. Go back to verse number 8 real quick. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles. Notice what he says. As a vessel wherein is no pleasure. God says, Israel forgot their creator, their maker. And he says, they are a vessel wherein is no pleasure. You say, what's the connection there? Go to Revelation chapter number 4, and we'll be done right here. Revelation chapter 4, and look at verse number 11. We've seen these verses before. Revelation chapter number 4, look at verse number 11. Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 11. The Bible says, Thou art worthy. O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created, you're the maker, of all things. Now notice what it says. And for Thy pleasure, they are and were created. You want to know why you were created? For God's pleasure. In Isaiah he says we're created for God's glory. You were created, the purpose of your life is to bring pleasure to God. But you know what the problem is? Go back to Hosea. Look at verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his creator, his maker. And because of that, look at verse 8, last part of verse 8. As a vessel wherein is no pleasure. God says, I created you for my pleasure. But he said, you forgot your maker. And he said, now you're not even doing the basic thing that you were created. He said, I have no pleasure in you. You know what the sad thing is? There are a lot of people who think they know God. There are a lot of people who think they have a relationship with God. And God says, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to meet you. He said, I'd love for you to bring pleasure to me. we got to understand that. You say, well, how do I do that? Don't count this book a strange thing. Get back in the Bible. Get back in the Word. Get back, you know, cast off, you know, the idols that we set up in our hearts and and the things that we do. Just say, you know what? My desire in life is to bring pleasure to God. I promise you, if you just decided that I'm going to bring pleasure to God, you'll be the husband you're supposed to be. You'll be the wife you're supposed to be. You'll be the mother you're supposed to be. You'll be the father you're supposed to be. You'll be the worker you're supposed to be. You'll do every other area of your life will line up if you just get this one thing straight. My job is to bring pleasure to God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the book of Hosea. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a church that would continue to cry aloud and spare not, to lift up the voice like a trumpet. Lord, to alarm, to awake. Lord, to startle. The fact that judgment is coming. Judgment day is coming. And people will cry out and say, God, we knew thee. And in thy name did many wonderful works. And God will say, well, I never knew you. Father, I pray you'd help us to get our hearts right. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a soul winning church that would go out into this community. Warning people about the impending judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for your son. Thank you for giving. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to be born in 2000.
13 to live in this year, Lord, to live in this time where we have the Word of God in our hands and we can study it and learn it. Father, we love you in your precious name I pray. Amen.